at Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights, we host a national awareness campaign on a different topic relating to sexual and reproductive health and develop tools to improve community health. This year, our campaign is titled Mind Your Business and centers on the intersections between mental and sexual health and wellness. The campaign goes live on February 12th on www.srhweek.ca, where a series of resources will be launched, which I'll talk about more in a moment, and a variety of events will take place across Canada by different partner organizations to spread the word. Oftentimes, people consider mental health and sexual health to be two different or distinct issues existing in silos. Other times, I've seen the two treated as sequenced. For instance, once you sort out your mental health, you can worry about your sexual health. But we know that these types of responses that treat mental and sexual health as separate aren't meeting people's needs. We're all complex individuals and we deserve to be treated as such. This means recognizing mental and sexual health as integral to our overall well-being. We're also entitled to positive and affirming health care that routinely and proactively meets our mental and sexual health needs and all the ways that they interconnect. So for me, this became evident when I started to have sexual side effects from the anxiety medication I've been on for almost a decade, and I had to approach my healthcare provider about that. I've also been warned that my experiences with depression and anxiety mean that should I decide to have children, I may be at risk for both prenatal and postnatal depression. And these are just a few examples that start to scratch the surface of how mental and sexual health collide in our everyday lives. We also know that there are often mental health components of things that are typically relegated to the sexual health realm, like menopause, pregnancy, abortion, pre- and perinatal health, living with STBBIs, and so much more. But sexual health is even bigger than that, and it includes the freedom to live free from discrimination, violence, and harassment, as well as accessing unrestricted quality health care and prescription medications. Without these things in place, our right to health is compromised. With this in mind, this year's Sexual and Reproductive Health Awareness Week campaign features a set of tools for healthcare providers on how to comfortably talk about sexual and mental health with their patients, a series of guest posts written by those working in and alongside different diverse communities discussing their distinct sexual and mental health needs and how the system may be improved, a poster by Montreal artist Edith Boucher, a webinar hosted by the Public Health Agency of Canada, and finally, this interview with Ashling Liggett and Faye Johnstone discussing affirming, non-stigmatizing healthcare that really acknowledges the intersections between mental and sexual health and wellness. For this interview, we wanted to have a conversation with someone already engaged in affirming, non-stigmatizing healthcare, as well as someone advocating from a patient perspective who is well-versed in the needs and realities of navigating a healthcare system that is, at best, confusing and at worst, alienating or stigmatizing to those with diverse lived experiences. So before we get into our discussion, I wanted to introduce you to Ashling and Faye. Ashling Liggett is a registered nurse specializing in mental health and addictions. She currently works at Homewood Health Center, a mental health hospital in Guelph on the public ICU and step-down units. Ashling holds a Master's of Education from the University of Toronto, and prior to becoming a nurse, she worked as a public educator in the field of sexual and reproductive health. She volunteers on Action Canada's Access Line, a free and confidential 24-7 national phone service connecting people with information on topics such as how to access abortion services. She lives with her partner, two dogs, two cats, and a rabbit. Faye Johnstone is a trans and non-binary young person in the fourth year of her Bachelor of Social Work program at Carleton University. She is an engaged activist with a focus on supporting health and wellness in LGBTQ and particularly trans communities. She is an educator on LGBTQ plus identities, mental health and anti-oppression, 
working with service providers and young people across Ontario to build organization and community capacity to affirm the lives and experiences of trans and queer peoples. She is an experienced community organizer, and this past year was a key organizer of Slut Walk Ottawa, Trans Day of Remembrance, and the Rally on Parliament Hill for Trans Rights Bill C-16. Faye is a member of the Strategic Advisory Council of the Ontario Centre of Excellence for Child and Youth Mental Health and a core team member of Trans Health Information Ottawa. Faye can be found on Twitter at at Faye, F-A-E, Johnstone, J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N-E. So first off, let's get to know one another a little bit. Um, so hi, everybody. Uh, my name is, uh, as Brittany said, uh, Faye Johnstone. Um, I am a Carleton student in social work. Um, I am trans and non-binary, and a lot of my work um, really focuses on supporting like LGBTQ young folks and social service agencies to help them better serve trans folks in particular. My background is um, like, as like a trans person navigating health services and social services, particularly mental health services, and seeing the experiences that I had as well as the experiences of my peers, um, and seeing like, how those experiences really demonstrated how services are not meeting the needs of diverse communities, really framed why I do this work. And so most of my work these days um, really focuses on facilitation and education for service providers and helping develop um, stronger community services and health services by and for trans folks through working with Trans Health Information Ottawa. So my name is Ashley Liggett. Uh, I am a registered nurse, as you already mentioned. Um, I'm cisgender, I'm queer, I'm a white settler. I grew up on the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory under the Haldeman Tract and Kitchener-Waterloo area. I currently live in Guelph on the territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit. And as you mentioned, I work at Homewood Health Centre, which is a mental health hospital in Guelph. There are many privately funded units. I work on the publicly funded units. Um, so we usually see folks in for short stays, sometimes a bit longer. Stabilization is the focus of treatment on our units. So that can look like helping people figure out what medication they need to be on or what medications are gonna work the best for them, providing supportive care while someone's acutely ill. And because of the nature of how mental illness affects all areas of people's lives, and because the world is not set up in a way to validate and support people well who are living with mental illness, we also address a lot of the social determinants of health in our unit, so helping people to try to access more stable housing, although that's very difficult to do just because there's such a lack of it. Prior to becoming... A nurse. I worked as a public educator in the field of sexual health, uh, mostly with a focus on sexual violence and healthy relationships. So often, if we're lucky, the work we end up doing relates in some ways to our lived experiences. Were there any particular experiences that led to your career path, or maybe a particular moment that led to you choosing this career path? So in terms of why I wanted to become a nurse, I was living in Toronto for a few years, and I was organizing with a group of settlers in order to support efforts led by Indigenous women in an area sort of north, in northern, not true to north Ontario, but anyway. So as we were doing that work, I met a nurse who was working in Toronto. And so on paper, her job was to support people living with diabetes. In real life, her job was about mobilizing whatever connections she had or strings she could pull on, so to speak, 
to address food insecurity, unstable housing for folks, those things that actually determines determine a person's ability to live well with diabetes. And so I saw this opportunity to kind of add a paper to my toolbox to do work that I felt like I was already doing, but just in a different angle. Uh, and I was drawn to the hope that uh, being a nurse, I would be better able to mobilize sort of more concrete and practical support for people that I felt like I was coming up against in my work on a day-to-day basis. And in terms of why I came to work in the field of mental health and psychiatry, honestly, I would I would pin that on my mother. <laughs> pin that, that sounds so good. <laughs> I would credit her. My mother, Dr. Lois Liggett, is a psychiatrist. And, you know, often we come to see the work that our parents are doing, whether it's paid or unpaid, and we come to see the value in it, hopefully. I have incredible admiration for her. She's intensely passionate about her work, and she's always practiced in areas that are kind of taboo that other docs don't want to work in. So places like prisons, eating disorders, teens, schizophrenia, postpartum depression. She's kind of always gravitated towards those areas that historically and unfortunately currently people often say, oh, those aren't real or those don't exist or those people don't need our help or horrific things like that. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things I could cite, like my own experience with mental illness or friends' experiences, but I, I really think it was mama. So I, I never actually thought that I would end up in social work or anything related to this. Um, and I'm still a student, so who knows where I'll end up in the next couple years. I think, you know, like growing up, I, I had my own like struggles with mental health problems. Um, and I really like my friend group is very significantly had those like shared experiences. Um, and growing up and starting like, to come to terms with the fact that I, like, I wasn't straight and I wasn't cis, and like, realizing how those experiences and like, those identities shaped my experience like, navigating and existing in this world, I think is what really like, shaped my interest in doing like, socially focused work and like, health focused work. So I very quickly became interested and passionate about um, how we work in anti-oppressive communities and like, anti-oppressive organizing, um, but also like, how we think about that more as, like, as, as systems function. How do we start thinking about how um, social services interact with, another, with one another and how we start shifting how these services interact to better meet the needs of diverse clients? Um, and so uh, I was originally a student uh, at UOttawa in um, political science and gender studies, but I felt that there was a gap in terms of like that practical application. And so changing and coming into social work, it's very much about um, refining my understanding of how like social systems work and like taking the tips and tricks I can from these studies um, to apply to work around building wellness and health in trans communities and a very significant in- intersection between like folks struggling with mental health and like trans folks. How do you see the connection between mental and sexual health playing out in your day-to-day work? I see the connection like literally every day. It's, it's, it's kind of one of those things that once you try to start seeing it, or if it's already on your radar based on your personality or your lived experience, you cannot imagine not seeing it. So I see the connection every day. One major way this comes up is about side effects of medications. Sometimes if I'm able to make good time with the folks I work with. Um, People sort of confide in me their concerns about sexual side effects of medication they're already taking, or maybe they're starting a new medication. They went to the library, they looked it up and mentioned in the whole, you know, like 50 pages of side effects that every medication comes with uh, is 
you know, effects on libido or ability to maintain an erection or something. So that's one really obvious way. But something I think about a lot that I struggle to always know how and when to bring it up with folks is seeing how, because we live in a society where mental health and mental illness is so stigmatized, I see the patients I work with every day really struggle to establish and maintain meaningful connections with other people. And one of the things that I see is people not being able to create or have access to respectful sexual relationships, not being able to find people with whom they can create the circumstances in which, you know, fun, happy sex is being had. And even not so explicitly about sex, but just having kind of intimate connections with people where the person isn't just seen for their mental illness. I I see people struggling with that a lot. And folks who are experiencing what would be labeled as moderate to severe mental illness um, and are struggling with their gender identity face really huge barriers to having meaningful connections with other people. And I'm thinking here about the phrase coined by Drew DeVoe, the cotton ceiling in reference to this phenomenon in spaces dominated by cisgender women, uh, queers and lesbians, where trans women or trans femmes come up against these walls where there's this implicit or sometimes disgustingly really explicit limits placed on the types of relationships that trans women, trans femmes have available to them. So I think about this a lot, but I'm, I struggle to figure out ways to talk about it with people in the acute care environment I work in. I'm curious if, if any of that resonates for either of you. I think that resonates with me uh, in a lot of different ways, and I can really like hear how that relates to some of like my own experiences around like the connection between trans identities and like healthy sexuality, and the ways in which transphobia limits or impacts the sexual health of different folks. I also really hear you around how you know like struggling with mental health limits or can have an impact on your ability to engage in like healthy sexuality on your own terms. Um, so I'm thinking like again like when I was um, a little bit younger. I was like really struggling with my like mental health and a fair bit of like substance use was mixed into that, which was not a pleasant experience. But I think about like how that impacted my ability to like establish and engage in healthy sexual relationships that were like, wholly consensual, that were on my terms and that were like overall healthy experiences to me. But I think I also like think of trauma a lot of the time when like, I think about mental health. So trauma has a significant impact on like your mental well-being. Um, and there's also a lot of like often like sexual roots in trauma. And so I think mm-hmm. when you throw those things into a, into the mix, it can get really messy to navigate your own mental health problems alongside trauma while also trying to engage in like healthy sexuality. Um, so I think there's like some really significant intersections um, from both sides, like your mental health can have a significant impact on your sexual health and your sexual health can have a significant and like sexuality broad, more broadly can have a significant impact on like your mental well-being at the same time. I'm, I'm thinking here of just giving an example of something that I, that's I'm kind of reflecting on is that some folks, when they come to our acute unit, uh, stay for a few days, some stay for a few months. It varies depending on how quickly the person can tell us that they're feeling a bit more like themselves. And something I think about is if, if sexuality is important for a person, which it's not for everybody, but if it is, when do you get to engage in that part of your person on an acute unit where anywhere you go, you're constantly kind of being watched. And I think about this when families and friends and partners come visit people on the unit. 
you know, if, if part of helping yourself feel grounded is engaging in romantic or sexual connection with your person or your people, you can't do that on an acute care unit. And I think it would be really easy for us to kind of brush those things aside. But especially for people whose lives are because of the circumstances of their life and the way that systems work to limit people's access to staying well, some people spend a lot of time in hospital, in and out and in and out and in and out. How disruptive is that to living your life and engaging in whatever type of sex or intimacy or romance that you want? Your autonomy is like severely limited. Then you're losing out on that, that part of your like, way of taking care of yourself.